The digital dossier is a collection of all sorts of data about people uh, that is then used and analyzed to make decisions about people, whether or not they get a loan or whether or not they get a job or or, or a variety of other uh, very important uh, life decisions. I'm Isha Da Vinci. This is the Grift Podcast, conversations to get you ready for a very different future. Privacy is fundamental to our humanity. Without it, we would not even begin to know who we are. But over the last two decades, the internet has gradually stripped away this core human right, and we have been, for the most part, oblivious. In this episode, I'm joined by one of the preeminent digital privacy experts in the world. Daniel J. Solov is the Eugene L. and Barbara A. Bernard Professor of Intellectual Property and Technology Law at George Washington University Law School. He is the founder of Teach Privacy, a company that provides privacy and data security training programs to businesses, schools, healthcare institutions, and other organizations. He's been interviewed and quoted by the media in several hundred articles and broadcasts, including the New York Times, Washington Post, Wall Street Journal, USA Today, Chicago Tribune, the Associated Press, ABC, CBS, NBC, CNN, NPR, and others. He's written numerous books, including Breached, Why Data Security Law Fails and How to Improve It in 2022, Nothing to Hide, The False Trade-Off Between Privacy and Security, 2011, Understanding Privacy in 2008, The Future of Reputation, Gossip Rumor and Privacy on the Internet in 2007, and The Digital Person, Technology and Privacy in the Information Age in 2004. He's also written several privacy textbooks and a children's fiction book about privacy called The Eyemonger. A graduate of Yale Law School, Professor Solov has testified before Congress, he's contributed to amicus briefs before the US Supreme Court, and he's served as a consultant or expert witness in a number of high-profile privacy cases. He teaches information privacy law, consumer privacy law regulatory approaches, criminal procedure, criminal law, and law and literature. Daniel Solov, thank you so much for joining me today. I'm really, really happy that you could do this. Well, thanks for having me. You are one of the preeminent experts on privacy and data security law, like maybe the number one in the world. How did you get into this field? Like why privacy? Why do you even care? It started when I was in law school in the late 90s. I knew I wanted to teach law. And uh, I really loved both technology and humanities. I took an early class the first time it was taught in my law school on uh, internet law. Uh, The internet was pretty new then. The commercial internet as we know it now um, was just getting started. And I thought this was fascinating. I thought the issues were really interesting. And I thought that uh, bringing a humanities perspective to that uh, would be uh, really fruitful. Uh, so I started and I uh, thought I would be a cyber law scholar, uh, broadly speaking about all sorts of things with the internet. Um, and I didn't know that privacy law was a field. Uh, it really wasn't much of a field. It was a topic. Uh, and I thought, okay, I'd start with privacy. It was very interesting. And I thought I'd write maybe one or two articles on it. And that would be that. And then I'd move on to other issues in cyber law. But Privacy proved to be a lot deeper of a rabbit hole than I thought. It, it really led to 
uh, a, a pretty wide, uh, almost uh, infinite expanse of land to explore. Uh, and so I never really have run out of issues to think about and write about in this area. I know, and you've written so extensive. I mean, you are prolific in every single way. When I was prepping to talk with you, um, I was, I was, it was such a delight because there's so much to study, so much to read and learn, so many books, so many articles, so much real scholarly work. And then more like fun stuff, like you wrote a book for kids, the eyemonger, right? Yeah, yeah, and that was inspired uh, by uh, by my my son. Um, you know, we would uh, tell stories at night and and read uh, a lot of stories, and so I was steeped in all this children's literature, uh, and uh, noticed that there really was nothing that talked about privacy. Uh, I couldn't find any book. There was no story, both uh, nonfiction and fiction. That, that really had much to do with privacy. And so uh, that inspired uh, the book. Uh, and uh, you know, my son's usually a character in stories that I tell. Uh, so that's was sort of part of the, the, the fun of it was uh, being able to tell a story and, and weave him in as a character. Uh, and also hopefully produce a book that could uh, bring uh, some awareness about the concept of privacy to children you know that privacy is deeply important and you, to the point where you want to share it with kids. You want to make them aware, expand their understanding, teach them about this very important thing. What, what is it that we don't know? What is, first of all, what is privacy? Let's, let's take it down to the very core basics. What is privacy? And then what is it that we don't seem to understand that we're missing why you had to write a kid story about it? Well, um, Privacy is very complicated uh, because it's, as I see it, it's a very, it's a broad umbrella term that actually captures a lot of different related things, but they're, they're distinct and they're different. Um, they have similarities uh, and privacy is everything from protection against surveillance to protection against prying or, you know, excessive questioning about one's life to the protection of one's, uh, the use of one's name or image uh, in ways that, that people don't want, or protection against disclosure of information about people. Uh, it's protection against uh, having information overly accessible, or protection against breach of confidentiality. All of these things are, are different things, actually. Uh, and I think there are a lot of misconceptions about privacy and a lot of what I see in policy uh, involves a failure to understand that privacy is the, really consists of these different things. I'll give you one example. You know, a lot of times the law does not adequately protect information that is uh, exposed to other people or exposed to the public in any way. You know, the law typically takes what I call the secrecy paradigm, which is uh, if something's entirely secret, then we can protect it as privacy. But if it's if it's not entirely secret, if you've shared it with someone, if you've uh, posted it online, uh, then it, it's available somewhere in a public record. It's it's no longer private. And I take issue with that. I, I think that that's that's a, a very crabbed and narrow understanding of privacy. 
privacy really involves the ability to protect information and its accessibility uh, and its confidentiality. So you might say something to your doctor. It doesn't mean that you lose privacy in it. You expect that that information stays confidential. You expect information to stay confidential when you share it with 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 certain friends or family, or even when you share it on on Facebook and you limit it to your friends only, you expect it to stay in your friends. If they suddenly said, okay, we're going to take everything you posted and just make it public. I don't think the argument that, oh, well, you know, uh, you shared it with a bunch of people, therefore, you know, it's okay to share it with the world is okay. Okay. So we can understand privacy in relation to private versus public. So private meaning this is for my eyes only or for the eyes of those I choose to share it with versus anybody can know what this is. Would that be sort of correct? Just from a layman, yeah. from a layman's perspective? Well, I think that what it really involves is uh, you know, maintaining boundaries mm-hmm. and appropriate use of information. Mm-hmm. So it's about, not just about, is it public or private? That's just one line that we have. Mm-hmm. What makes it complicated is about use. In iMonger, you talk about that creating that, having that space without someone, where someone's not looking at at you, having that space to sort of think, to breathe, to create, to be, that private space versus it being a space where someone was looking in and looking at you and how that looking in sort of really changed the experience for the human being. So privacy is some sort of fundamental human right, some sort of thing that people need to have in order to be human. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the book, The Eyemonger, is, is really about the value of privacy, why it's important uh, that we have uh, space to ourselves, uh, that we can decide when we want to share information and who we want to share it with. Uh, and that's really what the book is trying to, to capture. Uh, and that's something that is very much uh, endangered today uh, because of, um, you know, the way that uh, we use technology uh, and also the way that uh, the failure of the law to uh, protect us in a, a lot of the uses of technology. Right. Okay. So there's privacy before the internet and there's privacy after the internet. Can you sort of share like in simple terms like what's the big difference for our listeners well i mean the privacy was every time there's a new technology people proclaim privacy's dead uh i even created a cartoon about all the different uh stages and and, and inventions and of technology and how uh in each one Privacy threatened, and, and there are like photography, like cameras, like cameras would have, like people would have been, like, oh my god, like, that's gonna, that's it. Exactly, mm-hmm. it sparked the the very a very famous article uh, by Samuel Warren and Louis Brandeis called "The Right to Privacy," and this is 1890. Um, the internet, uh, you know, certainly is is a revolution in the spread of information, uh, and you know, I think that uh, for 
uh, really the, the first time in, in human history, you know, the average person can now share information around the world. They have the, the power that a, a major broadcast media studio would have. Uh, and, and that's uh, pretty profound that, that, that people can, can share information so widely um, uh, to a potentially you know, worldwide audience. And, and that now, uh, you know, by putting all that power in people's hands and then with websites encouraging people to share a lot of information, you start to have some, some problems. Um, and uh, you know, some of these problems are, you know, we see them today, you know, people oversharing and regretting uh, that they shared information. Uh, we have problems with um, uh, people being you know, harassed and, and bullied online um, with mob-like behavior, disinformation, uh, all sorts of things, uh, because, you know, we, we've created this this world. And it, it's good and bad. I mean, there are great things about the Internet. I, I, I love the Internet. I think there's wonderful things it's brought us, mm-hmm. but it also has a dark side. So we are, ex- because of the Internet, because of this massive technological revolution, our exposure levels have massively changed. But we're still behaving as if nothing's, nothing is different. We're walking about putting all of our data out there. It's exposed to the whole world. And we're just acting as if everything is just as it was. But it's but it's not. Well, I think the technology is designed to uh, make it uh, Same as if feel like we're, we're not doing that. And, and that's one mm-hmm. thing that uh, technology does in the design. Um, uh, you know, technology could make us more aware of the implications of sharing and make it uh, appear uh, more, you know, visually uh, and, and give us the sense like uh, of, of the import of what we're doing. But instead, you know, it looks like, hey, I'm just, you know, putting it on my, talking to my computer. I'm just writing thoughts on, uh, you know, and, and uh, we, we don't feel it. And, and, and one thing that technology, we see with a lot of modern technology is that, um, how it's designed affects how people behave. Mm. Uh, yeah, I think it's a good thing that a lot of times when you start recording, there's a little noise made or there's some indication on uh, the computer or the camera lights up. Um, that's a design choice to, to indicate to people that you're being recorded because it doesn't have to do that. And uh, then you wouldn't know that you're, you're being recorded. Uh, I think there are a lot of times where devices record people and people get a kind of false sense of security or comfort with it. So a home assistant device is recording, uh, but people don't feel like they're being listened to all the time, uh, but they are. Uh, so so, they're designed, you know, they're, so it's, designed, it's designed to seduce us into thinking that this is safe, this is good behavior, you should do this, when on the back end, it's not at all. It's a very specific choice for a very specific reason. And there's a whole business model, extractive business model behind that. Exactly. And and all these technologies do so much work in the background that we don't see, you know, how the, the ordering of our posts on social media um, and the, uh, you know, what we see, it just looks like, oh, it's just naturally occurring, but no, it's actually, you know, ordered and structured by algorithms uh, everything we do 
is influenced and shaped by technology and it's shaping even you know, trying to encourage people to be more extreme online uh, because of the way it's designed. Um, uh, I, and people think this is naturally occurring, but it's, it's not. It, it's, it's definitely very, very structured and, and, and controlled on the other side. And there's a very specific business intention. There's a strategy, marketing plan, business plan, profit motive. Um, it's not innocent at all, even on a design side. So, oh, well, let's just keep people online because it'll be fun. No, that's not the reason. A, let's make money. Let's get people to do stuff so we can make money. In 2004, Daniel, you wrote this incredibly prescient book called The Digital Person, Technology and Privacy in the Information Age. And one of the most striking concepts that you introduced is the whole concept of the digital dossier. So this is 20 years later. Tell us about digital dossiers. Sure. Um, yeah, I, I, I was almost thinking of coming up with a new edition of the book. Yes. Uh, with a new preface. No, that'll, be, that'll be amazing. This We need it. Yeah, we need the it. preface would just say, I told you so. <laughs> exactly. Uh, and that would be it. Um, but, <laughs> I love it. No, I was like, when I came across the book, I'm like, yes, 2004. He's, he knew it was coming. He said it. He wrote the book. Here we are 20 years later. And people are like, huh? Oh, my God. They have all that information on me. Anyway, so tell us. Tell us what you're thinking then and then how it's progressed over the, the last two decades. Well, all the technology was largely there. I mean, even, even you know, what we talk, AI technology, every, oh my gosh, it's so new. Well, it's not new. It, it's been developed for you know, more than half a century. Exactly. It's just that now it, it, it works better and it, it's more sophisticated. Uh, but, you know, the concepts were, 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 were there and, and, uh, the practices, uh, a lot of the practices we see today are basically, you know, yesterday's practices just advanced. The writing was on the wall even at the turn of the century. Uh, we had massive data gathering already. Uh, some companies were already doing that uh, and and collecting and selling people's information. So uh, we had credit reporting, which is a massive amount of information that was used to uh, determine uh, people's uh creditworthiness for loans um, or do background checks for employment. Uh, but the internet and what sparked me to write the book was that really was going to take that uh, and accelerate uh, these trends. Uh, and so the digital dossier is a collection of all sorts of data about people uh, that is then used and analyzed to make decisions about people. Uh, it could be a, you know, just a simple decision like, you know, should I, you know, what ads should I see? Or it could be a more complicated and, and, and influential decision on someone's life. It could be, you know, whether or not they get a loan or whether or not they get a job or, or, or a variety of other uh, very important uh, life decisions uh, that this information could be used for. And these digital dossiers are uh, this collection of data. I call the book The Digital Person because, in essence, uh, you know, we are reconstituted as a digital person of data. And, and this person is both uh, both uh, fact and fiction. And in fact, you know, a lot of the data does say a lot about me, um, but it's also fiction. Uh, I'm not just a collection of bits and bytes and data. Um, you, you can't capture a whole person just by the data. Uh, so we, we have this kind of weird uh, 
you know, fusion of decisions that are both um, you know invasive and uh, you know getting too much into aspects of people's lives that they don't really want to share in combination with uh, certain shortcomings and failing to know the whole story and failing to understand the context or, or getting things wrong okay. as well. So give us, what are the logistics of this dossier? Like how, how is it, how does this work on the back end? I am on my computer, I go to different sites, I'm shopping, I'm putting in my information because I have to register for this company or this institution or this governmental agency. Yay, I did that, it's so quick, oh my gosh. Oh, it's just going to come to me. Boom. I have an email. I'm everything's done. So I'm having this like maybe really cool experience like because it's so easy. But give us the logistics of what's really happening on the back end. Well, on the back end, uh, what you do is being tracked. Uh, you know, data is being collected with every click, with everything that you do. Uh, this can be uh, data can be gathered. Uh, and gathering a, a piece of data, you know, in one instance, it's pretty, can be often innocuous. Okay. So I bought, you know, diet Coke, uh, or I bought this particular book, or I visited this particular website. Uh, you know, occasionally some of those could be, you know, you know, invasive, but a lot of times, a lot of the information seems relatively innocuous, just your day-to-day -day information. But if you aggregate it, uh, what I call the aggregation effect, um, you know, aggregating it together starts to paint a portrait of someone that a lot of data about people, even just really mundane data about their lives, uh, this can then be gathered, compiled, aggregated, uh, and then analyzed, and computers can make inferences about the data. And these inferences can reveal certain things about people that they don't want to reveal. Uh, and and it, it, it's startling, the inferences that can be made. And so there's a very famous case where Target wanted to market to uh, people who were pregnant, and they wanted to do it early on in the pregnancy before they started buying baby products. Uh, and so they gathered data about their shopping habits uh, and were able to figure out uh, who was pregnant uh, and then start sending uh, sending baby uh, product ads to them. And what they found out through their algorithm, their algorithm analyzed, crunched all the data. And what it came out with was that uh, people who bought cotton balls and unscented products uh, had a very high correlation to those who uh, later, you know, started buying uh, baby products. So, um, and it was actually a, a, a pretty good uh, prediction that, that it was able to make. So, you, you know, it, it's really every little thing, like small things that we don't think are, you know, going to reveal something about ourselves could very well reveal that uh, in, in this situation. And this is what's happening on the back end. People don't realize, okay, when you do something as simple as, you know, buy you know, cotton balls or, or, or buy certain products that suddenly, uh, you know, a you know, companies are going to figure out uh, things about your health. Uh, that is, um, you know, that, that, that can be very startling to people and, and upsetting to people who, you know, didn't want to share that information with the company. Okay. So uh, since the pandemic, more and more people have been shopping online. 
what are your insights on what's going on with people with companies tracking or having a whole dossier on our shopping behaviors what we're buying and what we're doing in our lives because what we buy reflects a lot about what's going on in our lives what are your insights on that well i think it's just happening more and more i mean i, I i've been shopping online you know for for more than 20 years i, I really love shopping online i i do most of my shopping online now uh, and the amount of information that uh, you know companies have about me is 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 vast, uh, and sometimes it can be used for good purposes. So I, I do like the fact that you know on Amazon.com I can go back and I can search uh, for like what books did I buy back in 1997, and I can find it. Uh, and I think that's interesting, and I don't mind if they recommend a book to me here or there or whatever. Um, I think it becomes very troublesome when, you know, companies make inferences that people don't want or don't welcome, uh, or when uh, information is shared with other companies, or when it's used for other purposes that uh, that the consequences aren't known. So now companies uh, want to uh, get into AI. Uh, and they have all this data about what people are doing. And, oh, let's use it for our AI. Well, uh, I'm not so sure I, I want it for that use. Uh, I might be okay with, okay, all you're going to do is just recommend a book to me. Uh, I'm okay with that. But it doesn't mean that I want the information used for all these other purposes. And, of course, then there's that whole question of, uh, data breaches, right? So even if the, the company is not doing anything nefarious with our data, because of client-server architecture, our data data breaches are like the norm. Like this is like every day. Exactly, and, and you know, it's very hard to keep data secure. Um, you know, the internet is you know just a notoriously insecure architecture. Uh, but we, you know, used it anyway, and and you know, built built on it. You know, it it it's it's just got a very you know, insecure foundation, and uh, security generally is is really hard, and companies really struggle uh, with keeping data secure, and and even the biggest uh, you know companies out there, uh, they've all had breaches, uh, despite the fact that they have. You know, they, they spend millions and millions of dollars on security and still have breaches. Nothing is really safe. Uh, and it's scary because, you know, your your information at the hospital, you know, information your doctor has about your health, information about your financial I information, information anywhere. It, nothing is safe. The Internet as it stands is fundamentally flawed. Would you agree? Um. The way it's structured. I mean, we don't have privacy and we don't have our, the data. We have no data security. So it's structurally, architecturally problematic. Well, I'd say it's definitely problematic. I'm not saying sure it's flawed because I would say flawed would would be, you know, what, what purpose was it built for? And I think that the Internet was built for really primarily, you know, an academic purpose is used first just to share academic information it, you know no one thought like okay this is going to become you know a platform that you use to do your banking um so you know, yeah if you use a tool for something that it's not designed for um 
you know, there are problems with that. You know, if I, if I try to you know use a screwdriver to hammer in a nail, um, it's not going to work as well as it should. And so, yeah, the internet is designed, it's not well designed for how we want to use it today, which is basically for everything. Uh, and uh, in some ways it works well, but the problem is that it, it has some big security problems. And one of the tricky things, though, is that, you know, uh, a more secure internet could also come with costs uh, in terms of uh, control and, you know, government power that we might not we might not desire. So there's there, there's trade offs. Uh, it's, it's, it's tricky. But right now we have a problem because uh, the Internet uh, is is very insecure and uh, the law is, I think, not handling data security very well. Yeah. Uh, so that also makes the problem a lot worse. It's not just the Internet, but you know, our laws are, are are not up to the task of protecting us either. Yeah. So who is who are the people, who are the forces, the companies, the institutions, organizations that are invading our privacy? So we, we have a structural problem on the Internet. But then who, what are the entities that are taking advantage of this? Well, everything is, right? You know, people invade each other's privacy online. They, you know, we see constant cases of harassment and doxing and, and bullying and, and uh, you know, gossip and, and all sorts of problems. So it's ourselves, uh, companies are doing it. They are, you know, gathering and using all this information for all these different purposes. We have a uh, government, our own government, that's using it to uh, engage in surveillance of, of people. We have other governments uh, engaging in this as well. Uh, so pretty much everybody is invading privacy. And why don't, and, you know, we talked earlier about sort of the design way that the technology is designed that sort of lulls us into thinking this is a very safe behavior, let's do this, but it's not. And but people and people, but people don't care. I mean, even when we talk about this, somebody, if I say to, and you bring it up in a lot of your work, um, I have nothing to hide. So why do I care? So what if they know what I'm doing? So what if the government's watching me uh, online? So what if Amazon has all my shopping history? I, I mean, I'm not doing anything wrong. So what? So, but this is not good behavior. <laughs> we shouldn't think like this. Tell us why. Yeah, yeah, I've written a lot about this, uh, an article and, and and actually a whole book on this. Uh, I think that this argument uh, that, oh, well, if, it, if, if, if I don't think anything is, is uh, that invasive initially, then I've got nothing to hide. I think, one, it, it, uh, it really uh, you know, needs a better understanding of inference that, you know, the information might seem innocuous. Uh, in each instance, but aggregated over time, uh, this uh, can start to paint a picture about people. So part of it is just not really realizing the extensiveness of of data collection over time and the sophistication that these algorithms uh, can make inferences about people. People would be stunned about how uh, much uh, inference. Uh, how many facts can be inferred from from this? Also, it's about use. Uh, you know, it, it could be that okay, the data collected about me, I don't want to hide, but there are still uses of that information that I might not 
want. So, you know, someone, you know, says, hey, I've got nothing to hide. Then uh, and, and then some company takes their image and puts it up on a billboard or puts it up on a big sign in Times Square and says, this person, you know, I, I you know, always go out with my hemorrhoid cream or, or, or some kind of embarrassing product. They would say, whoa, I don't, I don't like that. That's I, I, embarrassing to me. I never I never uh, you know, endorsed this. This isn't about me. Um, well, you've got nothing to hide. But the problem is that that's a, a view of privacy, that privacy is only about hiding things. But privacy is about a lot more. It's about being able to have some control over one's name or likeness and how uh, that is used. Uh, it, it's being able to control the boundaries of information flow. You know, someone might might you know have uh, an illness. Someone might have cancer, and they might not be embarrassed about cancer. They might be okay with sharing it, but it, they might not want it shared with everyone. They might want to decide when they want to share it and with whom. Same thing with a pregnancy. Some people would say it's not like they're not embarrassed about pregnancy, but they want to decide when. Uh, they share it with their friends and family. Uh, information's about use. It might not be embarrassing, but information's used. And then based on certain facts, you're denied a loan. Um, and you say, well, you know, you're denied a loan because you bought this, this, and this, or you did this, this, and that. Uh, so I'm like, well, I don't like that. Uh, that has nothing to do with hiding things. It, it's everything to do with having, you know, appropriate control over the kinds of decisions and uses with your data. Uh, and so privacy is much more than what that argument uh, gives it credit for. The, the argument has, I think, an overly narrow and restrictive definition of privacy that I think is, is, a, is a wrong definition of privacy. And I think if you think about privacy as more, more broadly uh, constituting a protection against certain types of problematic uses of data, uh, then uh, nothing to hide argument really has nothing to say. The privacy is sort of foundational to um, freedom and to uh, our, all of the things that we sort of revere in, 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 in the West, right? Uh, democracy, freedom, the ability to sort of uh, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. I mean, privacy is foundational to all of these things. Without privacy, we don't have any of these things, I would think. Yeah, I think it's very important uh, for, for many reasons. There's, you know, privacy, uh, you know, just as, you know, protection of the self. There's privacy uh, for protection against government surveillance. Uh, you know, the one of the main tools that oppressive authoritarian governments use is uh, invading privacy of people and using their data uh, in troubling ways to monitor everything they do, to control them, uh, to use uh, searches and surveillance as pretexts to uh, arrest people they don't like, uh, or in you know terrible cases to use technology to identify people. Uh, who are disfavored and and round them up and 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 in history and kill them. Um, so privacy is very essential to freedom uh, and democracy and to safety. In the in that in that book where you talk about nothing to hide, the false trade off between privacy and security. Talk about talk about that because some people think that not only is it I have nothing to hide, but 
if this is what's necessary for security, then I should allow it. Yeah. Um, so this was sparked by the discussion after the September 11th attacks in 2001. And, and uh, there was a lot of uh, arguments and discussion that I saw in the media where you'd hear the following set, we must give up, we must sacrifice our privacy and our, our civil liberties in order to be safe, uh, that we just have to kind of make this sacrifice. And I take issue with that, uh, because that creates this kind of idea of a zero-sum game that, you know, you know, good privacy and good physical security uh, can't coexist together and and that like by by throwing privacy off the boat it's going to stop the boat from sinking um that that privacy that the, if you sacrifice privacy that makes security good in fact i actually think that you know most of the uh the best security measures don't involve invasions of privacy it's actually you know rather poor security measures that involve invasions of privacy and and, and what we often hear from those who are creating these security measures is what they don't want is they don't want accountability. They don't want people to question what they're doing. They just want to be able to create something, create almost what, what is like security theater, make it look like they're doing real security when in actuality they're, they're, they're not. There really are, uh, you know, they're, they're not thoughtful, you know, the most effective measures. They're poor measures, second best solutions, uh, ones that are invading privacy that make people feel like they might be more secure, but they're actually not that good. And then they want to cloak what they do in uh, w without question. They want everyone just to defer to whatever they say. Uh, and get a free pass, just do whatever they want. Uh, well, I, I think that's actually not good because a lot of privacy protection, uh, it's not stopping security measures. I mean, you know, under the Fourth Amendment, for example, you know, the government can come in and search your house. Uh, they could do incredibly invasive searches. So it's not, the problem isn't that they can't do something for security. The Fourth Amendment says, yes, you can search people's houses, but you must do it with accountability and oversight. So you have to first go to a court. Court, a neutral party, has to look and see if there is, is the search justified. Uh, and then they, they get a warrant to be able to search. That's how the law protects it. It doesn't stop searches. It just says you need to have oversight and someone's going to make sure that you are really do need to search it. You have a real basis to search it. And so a lot of times what we see in arguments that were made uh, by security officials uh, after September 11th, and generally even still to this day, is they want to circumvent those processes. They want the measures without any oversight, without any accountability. They don't want to go to court and justify anything. Um, and I think that's a problem. And I think that, that what privacy does, the privacy measures do, is that they create and force that kind of accountability on those those measures and those officials. And it makes sure that if we are going to give up privacy, that we do so when we get a greater security benefit. If, if we are balancing privacy and security, I want to make sure that if I'm giving up something valuable, I'm going to get more in return. And what we're often doing is giving up privacy and we're getting not much in return at all. Uh, and so uh, there are ways to uh, have both security and privacy. 
uh, if uh, we uh, have the appropriate policies and, and we don't just, you know, defer to the security side. And that's what the nothing to hide argument plays into. It plays into this argument. Well, just let them do whatever the heck they want to do and uh, don't hold them to account on it. I think that that's actually how we get lazy, you know, ineffective security measures rather than really good, thoughtful security measures that are critiqued, uh, that people are constantly thinking, is this really working? Is this really giving us security? And, and how do we do it in, a, in the least invasive way that we can do it? You know, one would think, a surmise, that if our government is collecting a lot of data on its private citizens, doing very invasive things, that because of the internet, the architecture of, of data and how it's handled and managed, a foreign government, a, a, a really uh, an opposing government could hack into whatever system our government has that's where they're gathering, tracking all this data, and then infiltrate that and have access to all of our, like really all of our lives. So it's a, it, there are massive, massive issues here. The moment you start interfering with people's privacy, you open up the door to all sorts of other potential harms. Would you agree with that? Yeah. I mean, I think one, I mean, there was the big breach of uh, OPM um, and uh, this breach involved a foreign government that uh, hacked in and got uh, background check information and fingerprints and all sorts of other data about um, all sorts of people like and their families uh, who had uh, worked for the government, uh, including you know security clearance information. Uh, so this is a massive breach. Uh, it actually uh, was was very bad for you know national security. You know that you know, people's information, uh, you know information about spies and others is compromised. Uh, people's biometric information, their fingerprints are compromised. Uh, and this breach happened uh, because of privacy and security failures. Uh, you know, these problems, security was very poor. Uh, that was noted. It was known. Uh, it just wasn't addressed. Uh, there wasn't enough concern or care uh, to take you know, the right steps. Also, um, there's a privacy problem, and that is data was kept just indefinitely. Uh, and so they kept data for years and years and years and data about people's families uh, that really shouldn't have been kept for that long. And then there was a, sort of an adequate uh, uh, you know, segmentation of the data so that, you know, once they got the data, get everything uh, too easily. Uh, so many uh, problems there. Uh, and, and there's just generally a, with, with a lot of organizations, just a, a kind of rather, you know, your cavalier attitude toward, um, you know, let's just gather as much data as we can gather. Let's keep the data as long as we want to keep it. But the, the more data you gather and the longer you keep it, the greater the security risk that you foist upon those people. Uh, what, why? Why do you think we have this cavalier attitude to, to data, to other people's privacy. What's going on there? What's what's wrong with our thinking? 
Well, a couple of things. One is it's very easy to gather and store data today. The technology makes it incredibly easy to get more data and to store data. Uh, it's cheap uh, and, and, and easy. And, and the amount of data that we can gather uh, and the amount of data generated today uh, is much greater than ever before. I think, you know, some estimates say in, in like, you know, in the span of a year, even a month, we, we, we create more data and have more data than in all of human history. It's, 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 I don't know the precise stat, but it's, it's staggering uh, how much data uh, we, we have today versus, uh, you know, 10, 20, 30 years ago. Um, also, uh, the reason why they don't fully uh, internalize their costs and, and do this is because the law doesn't hold them accountable. They're not held to account. So they can do this uh, and they can kind of get away with it because the law turns away and doesn't uh, force them to internalize those costs. So, you know, why, why do it if they're not made to do it? Wow. Okay. So I want to come, I want to get on the whole topic of law in a minute. Before we go there, you wrote a paper in 2021 on privacy harms, you and Daniel Citron. In it, you list all the different kinds of privacy harms. I think it'd be so useful for us to sort of walk through them so that we can all understand, all of us listening and me included, what are these harms and why they matter? I think if people are more aware of the harms or conscious, then they maybe start to shift their thinking about privacy and its value. Okay, so if I, I'm going to go through them, I have the whole list, and then if I can just, I'll just say it, and then you can explain what it is and help us understand it. So this is a typology of privacy harms, A, physical harms. This is a type of harm the law understands. The law is very good at rectifying physical harms. Uh, so in some cases, privacy can lead to physical harm. So if, if, if someone reveals information about someone and they are attacked or it, it compromises their safety uh, or the, the law is good at recognizing that. that that's a traditional type of uh, occurrence that the law is uh, actually you know, pretty good at. Unfortunately, though, uh, most uh, privacy invasions don't involve physical harm. Economic harms. Economic harms involve uh, things like fraud or identity theft where you, you lose money. Um, and the law also is good with economic harm. Uh, so if you can show, yes, I definitely suffered this fraud and I'm out, you know, hundreds of dollars or thousands of dollars, then, then you know, courts will recognize that the law is good at saying that's a harm. Uh, and that happens with uh, some privacy violations, but a lot of them, uh, the harm is not economic and it's not physical. Or there could be economic harm, but uh, it could happen many years into the future. And, and that could be beyond the what's called the statute of limitations. You know, the law has a narrow span of time after an injury or after something goes wrong, like there's a breach. You only have a, like a few years to bring a lawsuit, right. but you could be harmed 10 years from now. Your information could appear on the dark web and it could be used for identity theft. And uh, by then it's too late. Hmm. Reputational harms. This also is one that the law is is, is pretty good at. Uh, reputational harm is when your reputation is damaged, uh, you know, discreditable information about someone is revealed, and it results in their you know struggling to get a job or or their reputation in, in their community is is, is damaged. 
this happens sometimes with privacy violations, but a lot of times it doesn't. A lot of times the information uh, that's revealed about someone doesn't harm the reputation, but it's still information that they don't want disclosed or used in certain ways. Psychological harms. So these are harms that uh, involve um, you know, emotional distress. Uh, so uh, these are instances where you know there's a privacy violation, uh, and and someone has anxiety over it. Uh, they are concerned. Uh, they don't feel at ease. Uh, their data was accessed, and uh, you know someone out there has it, uh, and they don't know what's going to be done with it, and and that is uh, unsettling. And the law is kind of mixed about this. Sometimes courts are, you know, recognize the emotional distress as a harm, but other times courts won't. Uh, and they say, well, you know, that just doesn't count. Um, you know, we, we don't think that that's a sufficient enough harm in and of itself. Uh, and, and they'll insist on showing physical or economic harm. Uh, but will not recognize that you know you know the kind of anxiety and and distress caused by a data breach or a privacy violation is is enough. And this is weird because I I, I see that the law is very um, uh, inconsistent on this regard. Uh, and what's frustrating is when I read cases where some courts will make a statement saying like you know courts don't recognize emotional distress harm. Uh, and then I can say, well, I know like thousands of other cases where they do. Like, why are you saying like an incorrect statement of the law? Like as a law professor, I just want to give the judge like write an F on the, the opinion and say, <laughs> here, here, back, rewrite it and resubmit. Um, at least get your facts right. At least get the law right. Um, don't just ignore, you know, thousands of cases. But that's what we're, we're seeing a lot of times with, with the opinions is that, you know, just uh, a, a radically inconsistent approach to recognizing uh, psychological harm. Autonomy harms. These are one of the most complex things that the law must address, and courts really struggle with this. Uh, these are harms that are, there's a whole bunch of different types of them, and I won't get into all the different types because there's too many, mm-hmm. but, but these are harms that uh, are thwarting people's ability to make choices or that or or have um, uh, you know uses of their data uh, under control, uses of their data that impinge upon their autonomy, and this can be anything from you know trying you know, manipulation of people into sharing more data than they want, or upending people's expectations on how data might be used, or, or making a promise about. Uh, what data uh, is being collected, used, or how long it's being retained, and then violating that promise or saying, okay, you know, you, uh, you can opt out of uh, mail, or, 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 and then they send it anyway. Um, uh, so the, these are all autonomy harms. They are, you know, infringing on people's ability to, uh, you know, make choices about their own data and their lives and uh, manage what data is 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 being collected and used about that. And, and courts really are struggling with seeing that as a harm. They often see that as trivial or not important. So 
company makes a promise that okay, we won't you know share your data with other uh, with other companies, uh, and then they you find out they are doing that. Uh, they are sharing their data, and they completely violated their promise. And so we have a clear violation, a clear lie. Uh, and courts will will say, oh well, you know, show me that you're harmed. Have you been harmed by the other company getting the data? You know, what what what's wrong with the? You know, where, where's the harm? So then they throw out the case. Wow. Uh, but this means that the companies that did this. They learn a lesson, right? Like we can do this with yeah, impunity. They're no, yeah, exactly. They're no. This is this is this is why we're having a problem because the law is not seeing that the infringement or violation of our privacy is actually a harm. That is so. That's right at the, the crux of it. Um, well, I think we can all relate. You know, you have your 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 mobile phone and you turn on. You're going somewhere and you're a smart person, so you don't have location on all the time, but you need to get from here to there, and you turn on location and then you realize that you switch it off again, but they've still been tracking you the whole time. I mean, they, these companies are like, oh, we're not tracking you, but we are tracking you. I'm sending you, you're, they're going to send you very specific um, marketing related to the location of your device. And, and we know that, or even on, and on a device that we're not moving with on our, on our laptop, let's say it stays in our office or stays in our home, you have a flipping on virtual private network. You do as much as you can to prevent intrusion, but they're still, and they're like, yeah, sure. Just turn that off, turn that off, turn that off, put this on private. And it doesn't make any difference. They're lying. They're all lying. Well, they're, let's say they're all lying. Well, yes and no. I mean, I think that they're, um, you know, some are and, 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 and some aren't. Um, a lot of times it, it can be, uh, you know, some won't even have a, some apps don't even have a privacy policy, so they don't even make any promises. Uh, others make promises and then they, uh, and then they, they do break them. Uh, so some are lying. Um, some inadvertently, um, you know, what will happen is, you know, they'll, they'll have the, the promises will be very narrow uh, and then people aren't expecting it. It's really the, our system where, oh, okay, we just, disclose all this in a privacy notice, uh, and then people are somehow expected to read and understand these notices. Well, people don't read. No one reads the privacy notice. No one. Uh, and no one really knows what's going on. Uh, and uh, so that really doesn't help much either. And then to put the onus on people to constantly have to you know, switch things on and off and toggle this and toggle that and do this and do that uh, becomes really hard. Um, it, it's really hard for people to remember all the time. Oh, yeah, I need to do this and I need to do that. And they need to uh, you know, it's, it's asking too much of people to do. Uh, and then when they forget to do it or something uh, goes wrong, uh, they're blamed for it. Oh, well, you didn't read the notice or or, or you didn't flip this on and off or, or you didn't do whatever. Uh, that becomes the problem. Uh, and then there's also the default setting problem where, you know, so, well, OK, we'll just set this by default that we can track you, that we can use your data, that we can gather the data. Uh, and if you don't want to, you have to read this notice and then you have to, you know, you know, Check, check this and that and whatever to kind of opt out of it. Um, well, we know most people don't look at that. So most people aren't opting out. And then the company says, hey, you, you consented to it because we gave you a chance to opt out and you didn't do it. Uh, it's the consumer's fault. You really don't care about privacy because you didn't do it. The problem there is it, 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 that doesn't scale. I mean, it's impossible to do that with 
thousands of websites and, and, and apps and all the different things that we use and all the different instances of data collection. Um, so how they set the defaults and the reliance on opt-out is a problem. But even opt-in is a problem. It, it's a problem too when, uh, you know, somebody, okay, here, here's our terms of service, here's this, and you have to look, read all this stuff and then click accept. Uh, and, and so he, here's 50 screens that you have to read and an accept button. No one's going to read the 50 screens. They're just going to click accept uh, and move on. Uh, and that's why I think there, there's a big problem with consent in privacy uh, where people being asked to consent to things uh, that they really you know, can't fully consent to uh, because it's too complicated. It's too complicated to really know how they're going to use the data and what they're going to do with it. Uh, the notices are, are, are not really even readable uh, and understandable uh, by most people. If you make them too simple, uh, then they don't say anything meaningful. Uh, to really manage the privacy, you know, you've got to know a lot of things. And, and one thing I like in this too is, you know, when you walk into the supermarket and you buy milk, um, you can rest assured that, you know, it's going to be okay, right? It's not going to kill you. And it used to be the case that milk was uh, laced with formaldehyde and, and it would kill babies and babies would die you know, in mass from this, this, this tainted milk. And people, uh, you, you'd have to worry, like, is the milk I'm going to buy, is that going to kill me or not or kill my baby or not? Right. Today, you don't have to worry about that. And, and uh, you, know, you, can, you don't have to go and research the farm where the milk came from or you don't have to become an expert on milk. You can just buy it and say, look, I just want to look at price and brand and, and the taste. And, and that's all I have to all I care about mm -hmm. um, with privacy. On the other hand, it, it's back to that old world where, you know, it could be laced with formaldehyde and it could kill you. And, and it's up to the consumer to figure all this out. But the consumer can't figure all this out. They're not going to become an expert data scientist and understand all the inferences that algorithms can make about people. In fact, even the people designing the algorithms don't even know all the inferences that, that could be made. And to understand it, I'd need to say, okay, how do I understand what a company's doing with my data? I'd want to, I want to sit down with their privacy officer and have a, a long conversation about how the data is used. I want to see their training. Are they training their employees well? I want to understand, you know, what are their vendor agreements like when they share data? What are they uh, requiring their vendors to do with that data? Um, I want to know about their data security, but just telling me they have good security doesn't help me. I need to know specifics, like are they encrypting their data and what kind of encryption are they using? And do they have good you know, you know, technical security measures and uh, do they train employees and, and what, what steps do they have to prevent all these other problems? Do they do penetration testing? Uh, all sorts of things that the average consumer won't be able to, to, to know or wouldn't ask. And um, even if we gave them all this information, they wouldn't understand what, you know, that they shouldn't have to become security experts and, and privacy experts and data scientist experts and AI experts to just make these decisions. Thrusting them on the consumer, it, it's just, you know, it's, it's back to the milk thing. Yeah, exactly. You know, just I mean, don't think it's it's a reasonable solution. You know, it's, it's, I love this milk analogy. So think of it, right? I have to, we have no laws regarding food and quality of food and standards of food. So every time I go to the store, I, I have to go with a, a tester and I have to poke the food. Is this food good? Is it corrupted? Is it rotten? Is it degraded? Is it old? That would be insane. So 
Similarly, we've created this whole new internet, this cyberspace, all of this data, all of this new possibilities, and we have no structure, no laws, no standards for privacy. Why? And what can we, why, why don't we have, I know I'm in California, we have these, you know, all these data laws. It doesn't make any difference. If I go on the site, they say, oh, you're in California. That means you can opt out of this or something. I'm like, yeah, what? It, you do it, you do it. They make it as hard as possible. And then ultimately nothing really changes. So even with the California laws, nothing really changes. Why do we, why are we 20 something years later? Because the internet started in 991, by 2000, it was clear what was going to happen. You wrote the book in 2004, re-entering 2024. Nothing's changed. Two decades. Why? Why can't we get a comprehensive federal privacy law in place? Well, there's a the two problems. One is the comprehensive federal privacy law, and there's a lot of political reasons why that's going to be very tough. Uh, and I'll, I can get into that uh, a little later. And then there, there, why is privacy law not effective? Like, why is this law in California not doing uh, the job? And I think that's because privacy laws took a, a wrong turn. Uh, and it's, it's taken a wrong turn long ago. It's privacy laws used to start getting passed around the world. Uh, it's about you know, 50 years ago, 50 or even more years ago, but, but laws, you know, we actually had a lot of federal laws that were passed, uh, in the, uh, the, the late 20th century from 1970 to 2000 before Congress became dysfunctional. Um, uh, and they were sectoral laws. They applied here and they were inconsistent with each other, but they would apply to different economic sectors. And it, it you know, that, that works well when the economic sectors, uh, are static and they never change, but they do change. I mean, business moves and the economy evolves and, and, and companies that do one thing start doing something else in different industries. Tech companies say, Hey, we want to do go into health. Uh, so the sectoral approach, it, you know, becomes, uh, you know, it, it doesn't work very well. But we have these federal laws, but they generally take this this approach uh, that U.S. law has generally taken, which is uh, a, a, a fairly free market approach and a fairly self-regulatory approach, which is this. And I'm simplifying, but generally it's like this. Company discloses what it's going to do uh, in a privacy notice. And then it's just held to what it promised. Uh, and the idea is, you know, the companies can do what they want, uh, you know, as long as they've told people about it and they get some kind of consent. And the U.S. works with a opt-out consent for a lot of laws. Some laws have opt-in, but a lot of laws have opt-out, which is, hey, if I don't do anything, I'm deemed to have consented. So an action, you know, doing nothing means that you've consented, which I think is, is completely bogus yeah. because... It's very clear, you know, doing nothing doesn't mean I'm consenting to something. It means I didn't do anything. Um, in the EU, uh, the GDPR, the General Data Protection Regulation, uh, takes a different view of consent. It's an opt-in approach. You have to affirmatively say yes. Uh, but there, there's also a problem in that, you know, it's still working on consent. Uh, and uh, so you go there and you get these things like, do you want our cookies? Click accept. And I always click accept because if I don't click accept, then I have to go to a page and learn about like all these different cookies more than the Girl Scouts offer. And I don't want to learn about all these cookies. I don't want to toggle like a thousand different things. Just really what I want it to do is go away. So I click accept. 
Uh, so now it looks like I've consented or I didn't consent. I actually am really saying like, please go away. I don't want to learn about cookies. I don't want to deal with this. Um, so I think that's really what, what the, the problem is, is that privacy law kind of want, sees that the consumer is helpless and powerless. And the instinct is, let's try to empower them. Let's give them control. And the problem is that people can't really exercise control here. I mean, I might feel powerless when I'm on the plane. Uh, on, I'm flying. On, I, I can't fly the plane. I have, I have no control over what happens to me when I'm on a plane. Um, the answer isn't to just stick me in the cockpit and make me fly the thing. The answer is make sure that there's safety and make sure that things are, are looked after so that someone who knows something is focused on it, is keeping me secure, and that I can rest safely in my seat and not have to worry about flying the plane. But privacy, the law made this choice. We'll just stick, try to stick people in the cockpit. But that's the mistake. So why, why can't we get the law to respect the value of privacy? It's like privacy is a human right. You can't do that. Well, I think the, the problem is that, you know, it's, it's a, a political will issue in the U.S., um, why? You know, they're, they're, why, they're, why? I mean, why? I mean, we know that Congress is completely dysfunctional, blah, blah, blah. But why? Because why? I can see this shouldn't be something that's partisan because everybody can agree to this. So why are they not agreeing to it? Is there some other agenda going on that the government wants to have the right to invade our lives? So they don't want to put laws in place that prevent that would have then sort of prevent them from doing what they want to do. Yeah. Is that what's going on? I don't know. I'm just asking. Well, the government typically exempts itself from a lot of the, the laws. So um, you know, a lot of the privacy laws exempt the government That's already true, yeah. and give the government uh, favorable treatment. Yeah. Um, but generally, I think it, it's a um, I think it's partly a failure of imagination. It's partly that, you know, laws have gotten uh, fixated over rights uh, and once one does it, it kind of becomes like a meme or it just spreads uh, unthinkingly. And so, uh, you know, California uh, in 2018, um, due to the fact that the federal government is just not able to pass a law, and we can get into that why, but, you know, states started to pass laws and it started with California and they, they uh, uh, created a law called the California Consumer Privacy Act, CCPA. And this law is, you know, an opt-out law. You know, the, you know, you can get information about yourself, and then you can click a button to opt out of sharing of that data. Uh, and you know that that it relied on a lot, giving people a lot of rights in their data. And then a lot of states have basically done a copy and paste right. of the California law, it, and some have made alterations, but generally it's the same concept, the same structure, the same thing. A lot of them are a little weaker. Every now and then there's a stronger provision here or there, but it, 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 it's, it's, there's, there's not that much imagination. When you look at them all, you wouldn't say, wow, look at this amazing array of interesting solutions to things. It's like the same old stuff spat out again, uh, you know, repeat, 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 copy and paste. And I think I see that a lot with privacy lines. It's a shame because for California, this was uh, driven by a referendum and the uh, it was actually amended by a referendum. I wish, you know, I think any referendum would have passed. I wish that, you know, when that referendum were, were the creator of that, um, it was not, you know, 
an expert on privacy. He, he you know, was someone who, you know, came to it. And I, I wish that, you know, more consultation of experts were, was done. And, and folks have looked at, you know, how has privacy law worked for, you know, the last 50 years uh, to see what works and what doesn't. And I think then uh, come up with a law that, that could work a lot better. And I think there's not, I mean, uh, I've been saying things and a lot of other uh, scholars and commentators have, have said things on privacy law and what works and what doesn't. And a lot of what's been said has been ignored. You know, the policymakers somehow think they know what they're doing. Uh, they don't really look at what's been written. Um, and then they, you know, create the laws. And then when one law gets passed, they all start to copy that law, regardless of whether the law actually works or not. And then it feeds into the privacy paradox. So then the story becomes, okay, you know, we gave you rights to get, get, obtain all the information these companies have, and you can access your records, and you can delete information, you can do all this stuff. And look, look at the stats. No one does it. So people don't care about privacy anymore. See, if they really cared, they use these rights. But the problem is the rights don't work. Um, uh, so the approach is flawed. Uh, but then it's like, okay, blame the consumer. See, we gave you rights. Yeah. And businesses are kind of like, hey, this, is, this isn't this is so bad for us. Yeah, it costs us to comply with the law and we have to do this stuff. But generally, we can keep on using the data as we want. A few people may you know, exercise their rights, uh, opt out of certain things. But, you know, you know we know that the vast majority aren't going to do anything. And so we can keep on trucking. Wow. Uh, and so they love it. Uh, so it's still a win for them. And, you know, politicians pat themselves on the back, like, look at all these great things that we did. We gave people all these rights uh, and, you know, they don't they don't want it. And then but we're going to see that, you know, poll after poll says people are concerned about their privacy uh, and uh, they don't think it's adequately protected. Uh, and and this is the, the problem is that the policymakers just keep you know going down the wrong path. Uh, and they think uh, that's not going to change the polls. I don't think we're going to see, you know, in a few years, people saying, OK, yeah. we're not worried about privacy yeah, anymore. anymore. Problem solved because these laws have, have done the trick. I can know uh, the laws don't. I can just we can just imagine if we have this you know, massive problem and that's not being addressed. It's a, a problem at scale. It's not an individual problem. It's a national problem. It's a global problem that. It's going to lead to some huge, horrendous, like cataclysmic outcome, like for sure. But before we get into that, because I think I really want us, I want you to tell us about you were prescient back in 2004. You predicted everything. You said this is what's going to happen. Um, so I want you to talk about in a little bit, 20, you know, next 20 years. But before we get there, in the right now, we've seen the rise of this you know new version of ai the large language models and chatbots and chat gpts and whatever's um how do you see this new form of ai impacting privacy just from your perspective well it's going to have many impacts um it's uh yeah it's, it's a culmination of certain things that are already happening in privacy so mm -hmm. you know you know, Part of me is excited because there are new things. Um, because anytime you take something and you 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 strengthen it and, and accelerate it, it 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 
it does create new issues, but you know, these issues were around mm-hmm. for, you know, I, I wrote about them and it's really, I, you know, it's basically the technologies work through the aggregation and analysis of data. Yes. Uh, and evidence. Uh, and uh, the AI could be used for so many different purposes. It's going to have so many different effects. Uh, and now it's, you know, the, these algorithms, machine learning and deep learning algorithms are, are becoming uh, you know, widely used by 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 everybody, and it's going to, uh, you know, it's going to accelerate. Yeah. Um, uh, and it can be used just like any technology for for good and for bad. Uh, there's many good uses, uh, but there's also many bad uses, uh, and uh, a bunch of privacy issues that can be involved. Are one, you know, to work, the algorithms need a lot of data, uh, so you know, AI uh, needs. Uh, you just and it, just a ridiculous amount of data because the more data you use, that's what makes the algorithms uh, work better and 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 why they're today they 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 work whereas you know they didn't work quite as well before. Um, we have so much more data and computing power yeah. on the data is is, is much greater. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the um, uh, that's just a collection of data and, and, and gathering of data because, you know, I think for most people, um, you know, did, did you ever say, Hey, yeah, please collect my data for use in AI. You know, you know, people ever even been asked? No. Um, they, but they're doing it. You know, they've collected data. One company has, has uh, uh, called Clearview AI has, has uh, scooped up uh, people's, Photos, billions of photos on the internet to use in a facial recognition uh, uh, tool uh, that they sell to law enforcement agencies around the world. Did you know that you're essentially part of a virtual lineup uh, constantly? Uh, you know, your your photo is used in uh, their system because they just grab the photos from LinkedIn and from anywhere they could find on the internet using this art. Well, people don't care. It's out in the public. Therefore it's not secret. Don't have anything to hide, no privacy. Um, and now it's used in their AI. And, and, and that's just one example. Uh, so there's the collection of data. That's a problem. Then there's the use of the data. How is the data being used about people it can be used about people in many different ways. It can be used to make decisions about people make inferences about them. So you gather people's data and then the algorithms can make uh, inferences about uh, other information about me that I don't want to share. That's the, the example I told you about the, the target case where they inferred, you know, that people were pregnant. Uh, now they can do this with a whole host of different things. Uh, so that's just that instance on steroids. Then there's, uh, you know, making predictions about people, decisions about people, decisions that, okay, you know, using AI for hiring decisions. So they will have AI analyze resumes and pick out which resumes for people to hire. Um, and there, there are a lot of problems with how they do that. Uh, there's a lot of bias that enters into this system uh, when they start doing these kind of things. Or they'll use the algorithms. Now there's an algorithm used to sentence people, an algorithm called Compass, uh, which uh, attempts to predict whether people will uh, commit crimes again in the future. Uh, and then this is used to determine their sentence. And if the algorithm says that someone's likely to commit a crime in the future, the sentence could be higher. Uh, this is making a prediction based on data. And it's very problematic because uh, there, there's all sorts of bias in data itself. 
Uh, and then there's a tendency for people to think that the algorithms are somehow neutral and bias free when they're not. Then there are quantification problems that when you not everything get, can be reduced to quantifiable information that these algorithms can use. Uh, you know, there, there's a lot, there's a lot of idiosyncratic cases and things that, that involve human judgment yeah. that these machines can't do. Uh, so, uh, you know, sometimes it's like trying to translate an apple into an orange. Uh, and I don't think you can always do that, but there's a, I think a little bit too much, uh, exuberance and faith in what these algorithms can and can't do and in how neutral they are. I mean, AI is a little bit like the Wizard of Oz, where, you know, there's a guy in the in the machine. There, there are people yeah. all throughout AI that are making choices, yeah. not just some computer doing it all. Um, this is not about, like, a, a sentient computer oh, no. uh, thinking. <laughs> that This is about a, a people who design a model, and, an, and they design an algorithm and then they're sticking in human data created by humans exactly. uh, that the algorithm is then culling, but they're humans all throughout the, the process. The process. Yeah. It, yeah. It's really, really funny how um, this whole idea of how we anthropomorphize uh, these AI models and think that they're like, something's happening and it's going to get consciousness one day and then it's going to do this in such a joke. Come on, guys, wake up. If the things you want to see happen, happen, What's the positive outcome for us in privacy over the next 10, 20 years? And then if they don't, we keep on the path that we are. What's the negative possibility for the next 10 to 20 years? Yeah. Well, on the positive side, I think, um, I don't want to be too much of a pessimist, but I, I don't think you can solve privacy. I, I think that privacy is always something you can manage. So, you know, people say privacy is dead. Well, I'm not that I'm not that pessimist. Privacy is not dead. People always said have always said privacy is dead, but privacy is in, under threat. Uh, some people say privacy is dying, and they constantly say privacy is dying because yeah, there's always a threat to privacy. Technology will keep evolving. The problems will keep emerging. Um, we must keep managing it. We must be vigilant. There, there's no resting point. We're, we're going to have to constantly solve for it. So we're never going to feel at ease, like problem solved, we got it. Uh, take a, a deep breath and relax. It's always going to be something we're going to have to manage. So that that's that's number one. But that that's the best I think we can do, is we can at least get better at, uh, at what we're doing here uh, and managing this better and, and, and controlling it better and making things safer for individuals uh and 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 that that's i think the best we can do mm -hmm. um what what's likely to happen you know what if we don't do that in 20 years is that you know the the technologies um you know can be used for some really problematic things um i think the idea that the machines are going to sort of you know get consciousness and kill us all I, I don't think is likely um but what i think will happen most likely is that um, you know we're we're not going to um, the machines aren't going to take over uh, by their own accord. No, we are going to give them the power. We're going to gradually turn over and cede more decisions to the machines. Uh, so they're not going to be wanting to take over. No. We're going to 
hand it to them on a silver platter and say, machines, you decide. And they're not going to decide in ways that are, 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 are necessarily better. Um, but, you know, the, the way that technology hides, it's gotten very good at hiding the, the negative effects and the downside on a, on, on a really, you know, shiny, happy face. So unlike Big Brother, where um, in, in, in Orwell's dystopia 1984, where the world is drab and, and, and gray and ugly, and you see the effects of surveillance everywhere, you know, I, I think in our world, we, we won't see it. It, it. it will fade into the background. We won't notice and we already don't notice how much of our lives already is impacted by AI, how much, uh, how many decisions are already occurring through algorithms, how much data is already being collected about us. Uh, it, it, it's trying to make it as inconspicuous as possible so that people don't feel that oppressive uh, big brother uh ishness that they want to rebel against mm -hmm. uh, instead people will feel like wow the world is beautiful and I, I i you know it looks like it's algorithm free and 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 decisions are just made and it it, it, it seems you know it's a utopia but you know appear behind the curtain and you know you have you know all sorts of technology uh being used about people in in problematic ways and it's and the idea that somehow the the technology is going to do this autonomously is wrong. There are people behind this. There's always people behind this, and they're using the technology in in certain ways to get certain results that they want. Exactly. Uh, so the technology is is increasing the power of of individuals and companies and governments over individuals uh, and, and over other individuals, and that that's what's going on. Uh, but they want to hide that and make it look like, oh, it's just technology working neutrally and seamlessly and beautifully. Uh, but that's not um, what you know is going on. So it just will further this 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 uh, this this thing. But we'll you know it's kind of like a boil the frog problem, right? You know we'll, we'll feel okay. Uh, the water will keep getting hotter and hotter and hotter uh, until it you know you know it's just more total. You know, control over people and 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 more unaccountable power uh, being used in in in, in problematic ways, uh, and then the you know hide it from people so that they don't experience it that way. And this this is the the problem with the um, the target case. There's an epilogue to the case, uh, which is that after the, the story broke in the New York Times, and there was a big outcry, like, oh, how creepy. Look, look what they're doing. This is terrible that they're they're trying to you know infer whether people are pregnant or not. Um, the executives apparently learned the following lesson. They said in the future, what we're going to do is that um, we will um, we'll start we'll send ads about non-baby products too. Um, we we will try to make it look like uh, we're we're not totally we haven't totally figured out that so we'll send the baby stuff but we'll send other stuff too to, to make it look like the algorithm isn't as accurate um and that will then make people feel more comfortable and won't creep them out and i think like that's totally the wrong lesson right it's, the, it's basically like hide it make it less conspicuous but still do it that's unbelievable and so that's that's a problematic lesson and the only way that i think we can fight back is we have to start 
really holding them accountable for the use of this. We have to address the the the, the power at play, uh, and you know if, if we don't, um, you know it, it it's like a boil the frog. We we might not even notice uh, you know what's going on. It, it won't feel like the world of Big Brother. Well, we're we're halfway will... we're halfway there right now. We're halfway cooked, and we haven't. Yeah. Been. And and it it can continue that way, and and you just we won't know it, yeah. um, and that that's what's really scary is is that the technology is very good at you know it gets it's able to gather data uh, and use data in very inconspicuous ways, in ways that just don't don't really hit people, uh, people don't realize it uh, because it's it's kind of all behind the scenes. I mean the ads that you see online are. Are, are chosen and, and all the, the tracking and all the data collection occurs, you know, so much occurs and people aren't even aware of it. So they don't feel uh, like they're being watched because it's all hidden. Yeah. And again, we have to remind them that it's not, the technology is not just doing this. There are people behind the technology using the technology to do this. I want you to give people one thing that they can do. I know they, we're not going to, make them think, oh, you can do this and it's going to change everything, blah, blah, blah. But what's one thing that they can do after they hear you and listen to this and understand the importance of privacy? What would you like to see them do or think or be differently? Yeah, well, the traditional thing that, that I often see in, in, in these when, when I'm asked the questions like, give, give me give people a tip and, uh, you know, oh, just safeguard your social security number or, you know, don't sign up for these websites or don't have a social media account or go and delete this or that. Um, I, I don't think those are going to work because uh, ultimately for, for the reasons I said, I think you know, putting it just puts the onus on the consumer and makes them think, okay, if I just do this, that somehow I can protect myself. I think the main thing is to demand accountability uh, that we need to demand uh, that uh, there's greater accountability and not settle for the existing laws and the existing solutions to, to say, you know, uh, you know, the, these, these, you know, the, these laws aren't enough. And, and these privacy rights that I'm being given to access my data and, and to uh, delete data or correct data or opt out are just not good enough. And it doesn't mean that they're, they're bad things, but they're just not enough. You know, you know, I asked for a meal and you, you, you gave me, you know, a crumb. Uh, you need to give me more, and there has to be a, a lot greater, uh, you know, greater accountability by both, uh, by by everyone, by you know the companies that are are gathering and using people's data, as well as by the government uh, and and what they're doing. Uh, so, how can people demand accountability? How would they go about doing this? Well, I think it's to really push uh, legislators to. Um, uh, Think about privacy differently. Um, uh, I mean, people are trying to voice that when they're, you know, when polls are taken. Um, uh, but it's also not to fall into, you know, some of these old arguments like I've got nothing to hide. Um, uh, it, it's really to demand that there be greater accountability um, to uh, to say that these solutions are are, are not effective and they're not. Uh, they're, they're not helping. I think part of it also is that, you know, some of the polls that we see are, are somewhat superficial. 
it'd be nice if the polls were to really suss out more than just a generalized concern over privacy, but would really kind of help show you know that 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 people get people to start thinking about you know things that 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 could help them here, uh, so that it it's uh, um, uh, the, you know a, a better picture can be painted about you know what what people would would want because uh, I think when people are informed, I, I think I think what they want is they want to feel safe. They want to know that, you know, when they're surfing the internet, when they're sharing their data, they're not going to be harmed. Um, just, just don't harm me. Don't hurt me. Uh, you know, do what's in my best interest with my information, you know, be trustworthy. Uh, and, uh, I, I think that's, that's, that's what, what people want. Yeah. Um, that you know, when I use a technology, I, you know, I, I want to know that it's not going to hurt me. Right. Uh, you know, I drive a car, I want to know it's not going to blow up on me. Uh, I fly a plane, I know that you know it's safe. And I think that's the you know. So I think it's it's the people. The best thing is to help kind of get the policymakers to know yeah. that you know they they need to do more. That you know they can't just stop at you know a law like like California's or, or, or pass the same old law again and again and again, uh, that we really need to demand greater uh, accountability from the companies. And, and that's really, you know, push the policymakers to do it. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, if the people do that, um, I, I think that that could start to uh, change things. And, and it, it can happen in one state. I mean, you know, California has been the most influential. They, you know, initiated the law. Um, and I think it's great that you know, the states are passing the laws, even though I, I think that the laws are, are, are weak and I wish they were different. Uh, I think it's at least a good thing that they're doing something at least better than the federal government uh, that that's not. Um, I think they need to change what they do, but it could be one state comes out with a, a law that comes out with an, uh, you know, an interesting innovation. Uh, and it doesn't have to be the whole thing and everything. It could just be one thing that advances the ball. Yeah. Uh, and if that advances the ball and it's a good idea, hopefully other states will start to copy that. Uh, and that's what we see in privacy law. It's a lot of copycats. Yeah. Uh, and so we just know, need a, one good one good one good set of laws or law from one state and that could get the ball rolling in the right direction. I'll even settle for one good idea. You know, like one good part of a law, you know, that that does something good. Uh, you know, the more of those that spreads, you know, to other laws, uh, even if the whole law isn't good, there, there's sometimes there's some good parts or good pieces. Uh, and, and I'll take advancement wherever I can find it, Any, even in, in little in little parts. Folks, you'll find links to Daniel's website, books and newsletter and socials in the description uh, below. So sign up for the newsletter. I think that's a great way. It's a great actual action step for understanding privacy, the value and importance of it, and keeping up with Daniel's groundbreaking, absolutely vital work. As we move into the future, I think, Daniel, your work is going to be so increasingly essential for all of us as humans. Um, and Daniel, so on. this was so enlightening for me. Thank you so much. Well, thank you very much for having me. Make sure to listen, follow, and subscribe for new episodes wherever you get your podcasts and on our YouTube channel.